Well, good morning. It's uh, nice to see faces that I've not seen in a while. Nice to see new faces. If you're a guest this morning, welcome. Thanks for coming and being with us. Uh, awesome, always to have new people walk in the door and celebrate. Um, before I say anything about the message, I just want to give a shout out. A big thank you to Mike Fleck, Kerry Bryant, Josh, Josh Mercer, Eric Morse, and then Kim, and Sue and Amanda for helping make everything. Doesn't it look awesome? Uh, so a lot of people helped uh, pull things together and make it look fantastic, so thank you. You know, we've been talking about as a church, we want to step into creativity. This is part of creativity. How do we make the place look good? Uh, so it looks good on camera. It's fun for us. Um, so I really appreciate the people who are willing to step into that. Um, so we're in Advent during the old cursing the same story. Uh, that's what this time is for. There are these seasons in the calendar of the church where what we're trying to do is come together and remind ourselves uh, what God did and, and to, to re-inspire us. Uh, and, and so one of the works that we have to do during Advent is when we listen to the familiar story when we're walking up to Christmas, one of the works we have to do is like, we know this story. Uh, and so we have to do some work to, to re-engage and, and to remember. You've all got those moments where you sit around with your family and, uh, and you start rehearsing stories, right? Remember this one time when you were little and this thing happened. One of the ones that always happens in my house is, is uh, mom tells this story about how one day we were walking, she had her big, we call it a pram, and she's pushing it down the street. There was a sweetie shop and I really wanted candy store for you Americans, but sweetie shop for the real people. Um, <clears throat> so it was a sweetie shop uh, and I wanted to go in, but I was, I was being a stinker. And my mom always tells this story over and over again about this, like I was, uh, I was crying and she told me that like I couldn't get any candy unless I had a good attitude. And so we're outside the store and she is like, I'm, I'm playing up and she says, I was in the stroller and she leans down to me and she's like telling me off for my attitude. And she says, and you just looked at my finger and you grabbed the end of it and you just went. <laughs> I got plenty of candy that day. So... But, but you, know, you know the way it goes. We've all got those stories that you rehearse from childhood, the things that you celebrate as a family. This is what we're doing at Advent. We are the family of God, and this is the time, or one of the times of the year, where we come together to rehearse the story uh, that is central to our faith. So we're going to rehearse a story today. It's part of a larger story, but it is one of history's most important events. And to put it in context, about 740 BC, uh, Isaiah is ministering to the people of Israel. So when we're reading Isaiah, it's written about 740 years before Jesus. It's right before the Assyrians come in and cart them off into captivity. They are rebelling against God. They're not doing what he's saying. And Isaiah has this ministry where he's calling the people back to the heart of God. You're, you're missing it. Like, beware. If you continue down the path that you're, you're going down, there's consequence. Um, but God wants to invite you back to his heart to know him. Uh, and in the middle of this, he's predicting an event that was to come. And he's telling them this rescuer is going to come. Uh, and, and I promise he's coming. And so he's sharing the story of this rescuer that's to come. And so for this series, we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9. And this is one of these predictions of this rescuer, the Messiah, that the people of Israel are, are longing for. So if you turn to Isaiah chapter 9, this is verse 6. And it's, it's these words that are very familiar. They're on lots of Christmas cards. 
And it says simply, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So for this series, we're sitting in just the last part of this and looking at these names that are significant. Uh, Isaiah is explaining to the people of Israel the heart and the character of God and the heart and the character of this rescuer is going to come. So, so we're going to continue today to rehearse the story of who God is and what it means for us as we walk into this Advent season. But before we jump into any more, I want to put some pictures on the screen. We're going to reflect on some characters and on some stories. And I want to ask the question, what do these stories have in common? What do these stories, what was that? <laughs> They're all my favorites, is that what you said? They're all your favorites? Mel Gibson's an Australian Scotsman, right? <laughs> so ethnicity is one commonality for three of them. What do they have in common? Underdogs? Bravery, warriors. Yeah, these are, I mean, we could throw up a gazillion different characters here. Because as I'm talking about rehearsing story, you, you, you know this, right? We are storied people. Like humanity exists around stories. It's why we gather together and we share the stories of what you did in your idiocy as a child. It's why in our Christianity we share the stories of what we were before and what God's done in our life. It's why we're captivated and can binge watch Netflix seasons and, and why Hollywood makes so much money and why books sell like hotcakes because we're captivated by story. And, and we talked about this before. There are certain stories that, that we love uh, we talked before about the stories of injustice, and we love those stories where injustice is highlighted and overcome, and we see the just character of God threaded through. But another uh, a whole arena of story that we love are the stories of the warriors. Like Mel Gibson, I can't call him William Wallace because he's Mel Gibson, right? Leading Scotland against the English. Scotland has been oppressed by England. America got their freedom. We're still trying. Um, but, but William Wallace was this historical figure leading Scotland against the English. At the end of the story, he's executed. If you've not seen it, sorry. Um, it's history, so I don't feel like it's a spoiler alert. Um, he's executed at the end. It doesn't go the way you, you think the story's going to go, but we're captivated by this warrior who's leading the charge forward. We all know the freedom moment in the middle that's captivating to us. But, you know, though the end of his story, he's hung, drawn, and quartered. He doesn't renege his, his commitment to Scotland. He stands against England to the end. But his story is actually when Robert the Bruce, years later, uh, is fighting the Battle of Bannockburn to bring Scottish freedom as he's trying to inspire the army to persevere against the English. What does he do? He rehearses the story of William Wallace. He rehearses the story of what he did, what he stood for. He rehear they rehearse his death um, and explain what he gave his life for in the, the pivotal battle that allowed Scotland to win its, independent, its freedom from, from English rule. 
You look at Mulan. She runs off to enlist in the army because she wants to protect her father who's injured when he's been conscripted uh, to go and, and fight for the imperial army of, of China. And so you get this little girl who all the way through the story, she's fumbling, bumbling, doesn't seem to fit into the mold that she's supposed to, all the beauty treatments and find this spouse. And in the background, she runs off. Uh, she joins the army and we celebrate this story of this woman warrior who helps rescue China from oppression. We get Kung Fu Panda. My, my kids love this movie. Uh, we were on vacation a couple of years ago, three years ago now maybe, and uh, we'd, there'd been a recording of a show and it got the last like 20 minutes of Kung Fu Panda. And so every night, our kids just wanted to watch that part where like, it's not even the whole thing. They just watched the same ending of the show over and over and over again. So eventually we had to buy the movie and let them see the whole movie. Um, but Kung Fu Panda, you've got the Furious Five, these Kung Fu fighting warriors, the cheetah, the, the monkey, the snake, the crane, uh, and, and they're, they're, they're the king of Kung Fu leading things forward. And then you get this big, idiotic dopey panda comes into the scene that can't do anything other than eat dumplings uh, and and the whole story is him figuring out his identity there's been this prediction that a warrior is going to come tai long is going to escape from prison he's going to come and attack the people he's after the dragon warrior scroll but the dragon warrior has been predicted and you know how the story goes because it's a story and we're used to these archetypes for stories so it's not a spoiler alert right you know what's going to happen the fumbling, bumbling, ditzy panda becomes the warrior that, that God that, that is used to rescue his people. And then one of my favorites, Kratty Kid. A little guy moves from New York, upstate New York, to LA. Uh, he starts at a new school. He, he likes this cheerleader. Her ex-boyfriend doesn't like that. Next thing you know, this guy who's part of Cobra Kai, this karate fighting black belt decides him and his cronies are going to start bullying him and they bully this little guy and then the little weird eccentric like caretaker takes him under his wing and, and trains him up to be a warrior and the whole way through we're like when is it going to happen when's he going to kick their b-u-t-t-s <laughs> when's it going to happen we're waiting for it we long for these moments uh, and all of our stories are around it where these warriors rise up to rescue people, whether it's the invading army, whether it's artificial intelligence that's taken over the world, uh, or every superhero movie that we ever watch where the world has been attacked by some foreign agent and this person with superpowers rises up to rescue people. This is the story that we long for. We spend so much money trying to be a part of this story. The reality is we live in a fallen world. We're surrounded by brokenness. Things never go the way that we want them to. It's your family member that is sick and there's nothing that you can do about it. It's, it's the people who are hurting and oppressed and it doesn't seem to matter what happens. They can't get a foot up in the world. It's that dream that you've been carrying inside and it doesn't matter how much effort you put towards it. It never seems to go anywhere. Uh, we're trapped in this brokenness. It's the sin issues, the, the things that you look at inside yourself that you don't like, and you say, I want to be free from this thing, this personality trait, this sin issue, and you battle and battle and never seem to get any further forward. We're in a fallen world. And not only that, 
but we live in the middle of a spiritual war. So there is a cosmic battle going on between the forces of good and evil, and we are caught up in the middle of it. And the Western world, we're not so aware of it, so we pretend like it doesn't exist, and we think this world is all there is. And so then we get stuck in this battle uh, of these horrible, warring things going on in our life, and we're like, where is the hope? When we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we're rehearsing the story of the warrior who is coming to rescue God's people. It's the story that every one of these movies is pointing towards of that hunger inside to see the bad defeated and the good win. That's what we're walking toward. We need a rescuer. Well, I do. I don't know if anyone else in the room feels like we need one. We need a rescuer. And every Christmas, we stop to rehearse the story of the ultimate rescuer that came and the work that he's done. So this week, we're going to look at the the name in Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 6, that's mighty God. Last week, we looked at this phrase, wonderful counselor, whether you look at it as two words together or two separate titles, but essentially the master strategist. We were rehearsing the story that this child was coming, this Messiah would come, who's a master strategist, uh, who has the plan that we can use to move forward. This week, we look at the next title, which is the encouraging one, that we have a master strategist, but he's also mighty enough to make his strategy work. There's lots of people who have the strategy and no follow-through. There's lots of people who have enough energy but no ideas of how to get there. We're worshiping a God who has all the strategy that's needed and all of the power and ability that's needed to bring it to be. So this word mighty God, again, some people like to geek out on on Hebrew script. So here we have it. Uh, The words El Gabor. So two simple words that are, again, really simple, really significant, repeated throughout Scripture. Um, And we're going to look at these one at a time. Uh, to, to just get a little bit more understanding and a little bit more familiar with them. But before we go there, remember this passage. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government is upon his shoulders, the, the context. And he's going to have this name. The name is Wonderful Counselor and the name is Mighty God. So this is Isaiah not talking about the God of Israel. He's talking about the Messiah that is to come. And when he's talking about this Messiah, he uses this phrase, mighty God. And this is one of these moments where if you're ever in any doubt, if the Bible really teaches that Jesus is God, this is one of these moments because the very next verse, so Isaiah 9, 6, he calls the Messiah, wonderful counselor, mighty God. But the very next chapter in Isaiah chapter 10, he's talking about what God is going to do for his people. And he says, in that day, the remnant of Israel, so the people of Israel who have stayed faithful to God, the survivors of Jacob, who no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Now, the Holy One of Israel is Isaiah's favorite description of God the Father. All the way through, it's, it's, it's used in every chapter multiple times. So this is him talking about the God who created the, the ruler of Israel. So you're going to rely on the, the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return. A remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. So he's just predicted in chapter 9 that a Messiah is going to come and he's going to be called Mighty God. 
And in the very next chapter, he's explaining that this God, the Holy One of Israel, that you are longing for is the mighty God. This is one of these moments where Isaiah, through the work of the Spirit, predicting what is to come, is letting them know that this Messiah is more than you think he is. He's not just mighty God by label, but he is the God of Israel coming in the flesh to rescue his people. He is El Gabor, the mighty God. So I want to look at this first word, the word El. Um, in Scripture, this word is used almost exclusively of God. There's a handful of times where it's not used of God who created everything. And in those instances where it's used, it's usually in a context where it's saying, you worship someone that is not God. You worship a not God. So most of the time, this word it refers exclusively to God the Father who created the heavens and the earth. And it's a word that it, you are more familiar with than you realize. You encounter this word and you use this word a lot and you don't even realize you're using it. So there's a bunch of names that we are familiar with for, from life, from the Bible, um, that have this in it. So I'll put some of them up. Bethel. It's a place in the Bible that we read about. It means house of God. Bet is the word for house. El is the word for God. So Bet El, Bethel, is the word for the house of God. You've got a name like Samuel. We throw that name around all the time. Shema means to hear. El means God. So it's one who hears God or listens to God. Daniel, it's the word judge with the, the, the word God on the end. God is my judge. Dan E El. Um, the nation of Israel. One who struggles with God. Sometimes they stick it on the front just for fun. Elijah, what does it mean? El is the word for God. The little I is my. So my God is Yah, Yahweh. So Elijah means my God is Yahweh or Yahweh is my God. So these are names that we're familiar with. There's more. Gabriel. I'll give you a little hint here. <laughs> God's mighty one. Gabriel. Gabor. El Gabor, Gabor El. Um, so that's it flipped back around about. So we're, this word, you're used to saying it. You say it when you, you're calling people's names. You name your kid Samuel. You, someone like in schools all around the States right now, people are like, hey, Samuel, come here. They're saying God listens. God hears us every time they invoke that name. It's pretty cool. Uh, there's one more that we're more familiar with at this time of year, right? Isaiah 7, 14, uh, where we have the word Emmanuel. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin is going to conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, the with us God. So this is a word we're familiar with. It's always pointing ahead to this God that we worship, the one who created the world, the one who is over everything. Um, and so you know it. So when it says mighty God, Isaiah is making a declaration about who this Messiah will be. And we know that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is this God that we worship. It's the other word that's more fun for me. I just wanted to let you know that you know that word already. But the word Gabor needs a little more clarification. The word mighty. When we see this word, we're thinking strong. We're thinking powerful. Um, and that's good. That's part of it. But when this word appears in Scripture, I, I want to give you some context that it's used uh, to help you understand the significance of this word. So first of all, right at the beginning in Genesis, there's this character Nimrod that appears. Um, and it, the Bible describes Nimrod as a Gabor. And what does it say in English? It says he's a mighty warrior. He's a warrior, valiant warrior. When Joshua is called to walk into the promised land, there's this moment where God tells him, leave the women and children here 
but I want you to take certain men, I want you to take the Gabor men, and they're going to go across the Jordan, and they're going to lead the charge into the promised land. Take your best fighting men and send them ahead of you into the land, and then once they've conquered the land, the women and children can follow. Um, in the time of Judges, when Israel is spiraling into depravity, there are these moments where God would raise up these judges, and the judges would lead the people and help determine God's will, and many of the times rescuing them from an oppressor. And you've got Gideon, as Gideon's there, God looks at Gideon and he calls him, you're a Gabor, you're a mighty warrior, and I'm going to use you to rescue my people. Um, Saul, when he's king, and, and in fact, all of the kings that come after him, Saul is the first king, as he is, he does what God predicted. In Deuteronomy, uh, what is it, 17? Don't, uh, don't get a king. Don't be like the other nations, because I promise you, if you have a king, he's going to start conscripting your people to form an army. So, so beware it's going to happen. Then all of a sudden, Saul is appointed as king, and what's the first thing he does? He starts enlisting the Gabor into his army, these strong, mighty warriors, these able fighters to help drive his agenda forward. You may be familiar with David and lists and chronicles of these men that Dave, David rallied around him. There's, there's, there's 10, uh, 30 of them, his 30 mighty men. And Scripture lists them by name and gives all of these descriptions of their achievements and exploits as they overcome the most bizarre odds uh, they are the mightiest of warriors. They're called his, his Gabor. Um, this is a, a word that's used as an adjective of God all the way through Scripture. Our God, our God, the mighty one, uh, mighty and powerful and awesome. So this is a word when it's used to refer to God and it's used to refer to people, we think mighty and we tend to just sit with the word strength. But really, when he's using the word mighty, we could replace this with the word warrior, it's not just that he's mighty God, but this is a description that we worship the warrior God, that this Jesus, this Messiah that's going to come is going to be the warrior that they are looking for. Now, you've got to remember, Israel is in a situation where uh, outside nations are coming against them trying to take over Israel. Uh, they're being dominated and oppressed by these outside agencies. So when they're thinking about a Messiah, they're looking for a political figure or a new king that's going to come and lead them out of oppression to be the dominant force in the world again. So when you're thinking about these people longing for this military commander who can come in and lead them to victory, is it any wonder that Isaiah is prophesying? He starts by saying this person is a master strategist and he's a warrior God. Like if we need anything to rescue us out of the oppression that we feel, we need someone that has the right plan, and we need a warrior who can come and battle. Every time you put on the TV, every time you read a book where you're looking at this underdog person being trained and leading himself or other, herself or other people to victory, it is this thing inside of us that God has planted there that has dissatisfaction with the world and its brokenness and a longing for a warrior that will come and rescue us. And Isaiah is letting us know, and, and at Christmas we rehearse, this warrior who comes to rescue us from the fallen world, to rescue us from sin and sickness and brokenness and demonic oppression, the one who comes to rescue us from herself and all of the brokenness that we bring. But here's the question. When do we need a warrior? 
We've got this warrior God. When do we need one? What condition are you in when you need a warrior to come and fight for you? Yeah, not normally like everything's peachy, life is good, plenty of money in the bank, job is perfect, family are healthy, no oppression, no suffering. At that point, none of us need a warrior, right? We think we've got it together. Oh, we're fools. <laughs> we think we've got it together, so we're not looking for a warrior. The fact that God reveals himself as a warrior is the evidence that hard things are going to come. And in the middle of those hard things, he's setting us up to understand that when the hardship comes, he is there ready to step in and fight on our behalf. I want to look at a, a verse in Zephaniah chapter 3 that takes this word Gabor applied to God and translates it as warrior. This is NIV. Um, and I love, as I think about Jesus as the warrior God, I love what this passage reveals about him and who he is. It says, on that day, on that day, they're always talking ahead to the future when things are, when wrong is sorted and things are put right. But on that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hangs hang, hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. and his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I love that God does this in Scripture. The imagery of the mighty warrior singing a lullaby or a love ballad to his loved one. The, the juxtaposition of the strength of God with the softness of artistry where someone is singing. And this passage, as it's describing this God that's going to come, the mighty warrior, the mighty God that is the Messiah who's going to come and save them. What do we see in here? We see the promise of presence. The Lord your God is with you. It's Emmanuel, the promise of the God that will be with us in the middle of what we experience. It's the declaration of this mighty warrior who's victorious. It's a declaration of victory, the mighty one who saves. Who's the mighty one that saves? It's the Jesus that we delight in. It's a promise of intimacy. He's going to delight in you. I've said this multiple times before, and some of you need to hear this again. God delights in you. Before the creation of the world, he chose you and appointed you to be his. He has walked with you through your entire life. He has seen every horrible, wicked thing you've done. He's seen every evil thought that exists in your heart. He sent Jesus to, to rescue you from that. And when he looks at you, he delights in you. He doesn't look at you and go, oh, look at this horrible person and all the evil things they've done. Let us smite them down. He looks at you and takes delight and he pleads, would you come to the one that I've given you who can rescue you from that brokenness and bring you back into intimacy with me because I delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. He's not out to get you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. This warrior God who loves to stand with us and sing a love song over our lives, drawing us to him. This is what it means for the Messiah to be the mighty God. He's not a hard-hearted, big beefcake warrior like the movie 300 that's going to come in and, this is Sparta. That's part of who he is. But these other passages reveal that there's this soft tenderness to him, this welcoming invitation to presence and love and delight and intimacy that we see at the Christmas story when, 
when this predicted Messiah, this mighty warrior arrives on earth, heralded by the angels, met and celebrated by these kings from afar, is this silly little dopey baby lying in a manger, tenderness and vulnerability, who's come ready to rescue us from our sin and from our brokenness. When do we need this warrior? We need this warrior when we're broken. We need this warrior when we're pressed. We need this warrior when we're downtrodden and when we're struggling. And again, a time of year like this, Christmas is a really reflective time. We start thinking about the people that are missing. We start thinking about uh, the, the money in the bank account and what Christmas is going to look like this year. We look at the situation in the world around about us and how it's going to affect us, and we feel overwhelmed. There are people that we love who are ill and can't participate with us the way we want to. Uh, and we're going, God, where, where is the answer? Where is the rescuer? Paul gets this concept that we experience the warrior in his fullness when we lack. Second Corinthians, he's, he's had this experience. There's this thing going on in his life that he can't seem to get rid of. And he cries out to God, would you take this thing away from me? And, and, and he says to the Corinthians, you know, three times I pled with God, would you get rid of this thorn in my flesh? And in chapter 12, God looks at him and says, my grace is sufficient for you. You don't need that to go away. What you need is my grace in the middle of it. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on you. When we have it all together, we don't need the power of Christ. When we don't have it together, when we boast in the ways that we're failing and struggling, his power is freest to move in us. It's in these moments where you're looking. Uh, we talked about this last week. You know, the, 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 you've got the Egyptian army behind you. You've got the Red Sea in front of you. And you're going, God, where do I go from here? It's in that moment that the warrior arises and steps forward on our behalf. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardship and persecution and difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is a concept we don't get very well in the Western world. We hate weakness. We put sickness in a hospital over there. We put elderly people in a care home over there so we don't have to deal with mortality. We don't like it. We, we, we struggle with it. We avoid weakness at all costs. We, we put cosmetic surgery to stop ourselves from looking like we're aging. Uh, we dress trendier as we get older so that people don't think uh, <laughs> we're as young as we are. We dye our hair to try and get rid of the gray. Like We don't want to look like we're aging. We don't like weakness. Uh, but in those moments of weakness and struggle is when his power is able to rest on you and when his warrior uh, stands up and does the work that he's done. You know, there's a proper response for us in these revelations when we hear that Jesus is the mighty God. He's the warrior God come to rescue us from the fallen world. One, we boast in weakness so that his power rests on us, but the other response is found in 1 Peter chapter 5. As Peter is writing to a church that's been persecuted, Nero is killing Christians. He's sticking them on sticks and he's burning them as candles to light the night sky. And in the middle of the persecution, Peter is encouraging the church to stay strong. 
And in chapter 5, he's talking to the leaders of the church and telling them how to lead the church. He's talking to the young people, telling them to honor those who are leading them. And then he speaks to the church as a whole. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Clothe yourself in humility. Who clothed himself with humility? The warrior God, when he was willing to clothe himself in human form and come and live here in all humility and frailty, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under what? Under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The fact that God has a mighty hand is the very reason we should be humbling ourselves. It's the very reason we should be boasting in our weakness in the middle of the pain and giving him an opportunity for his power to come in and move in the middle of us. That he may lift you up in due time. It's not a promise that everything goes away overnight. Jesus' coming wasn't a promise that the Messiah is going to arrive and then all of a sudden everything's going to be fixed. He had 30 years before he even starts his ministry, three more years until he dies. And 2,000 years later, we're still waiting for him to return and set everything right. But the promise is that his power is here. You know, lots of us ask this question, you know, like, oh, I I just wish Jesus was here and he could fix everything, right? I wish I could sit down with him and have a conversation and get his wisdom. I wish I could have him just come over and lay his hands on someone and heal them. Jesus tells us, you know, it's better for me, for you that I go and I'm going to give you one that's greater than me. I'm going to send the spirit and he's going to be inside you and he's going to enable you to do greater things or mightier things than the things that I did. So we all sit here longing for Jesus face to face so that we can have him do the things that he did. But he has actually given you his spirit, the spirit of the wonderful counselor and the spirit of the mighty God to be in you, to empower you to be the agent to bring this change in the world around about you. It's better that he went. And it's best that he came, right? (laughs) He came to rescue us. So at Christmas... This is what we're doing. We're worshiping the mighty God. As we stand and sing songs together, we are worshiping the mighty God. We're declaring who he is. And in worship, we are doing something pretty special. We are sitting fully aware of the brokenness that we live in, fully aware of our sin and the broken systems that we maintain, fully aware of the illness and the trouble in the world around about us, and aware of all of that, fully knowledgeable about the mess that we live in, we are choosing to declare the goodness of the mighty God who's over all. And so worship is a sacrifice that we make in the middle of hardship to declare who he is as a way of rehearsing the story that this mighty God has come to rescue his people. He will come back like he did at the beginning, and he will put things right. And it's a way that we build faith in ourselves and build faith in one another so we can go back into the world with our perspective in the right place, ready to tackle the obstacles that are there, knowing that he is with us, that he is fighting for us, that he delights in us, and that he's singing intimate words over us of joy. So in a moment, we're going to worship together. And I invite you, during worship, think of the brokenness that you're experiencing. Think of the sin issues you're wrestling with. 
Think about that person in your family that you can't stand to be around. Think about that abuser who hurt you. Think about the shame that you're carrying that you just can't seem to get over. Think about that inner feeling of worthlessness that plagues you every Christmas. Think about the bank balance that isn't where you want it to be. Think about the inner critic in your mind that's constantly tearing you down and telling you that you can't do things right. Bring those to him. And over the top of all of that, let's praise Jesus as the mighty God who can take all of those things you're experiencing and he can break into the middle of it. He might not remove it right away, but his presence in the middle of it will change it. And he will take what you're experiencing. He will change the intimacy that you have with him and he will use you as a more powerful agent to offer that hope to the world around about us. So Christmas and Advent, we celebrate and rehearse the same story every year. It's not just that the baby Jesus came and was born in a manger. It's that the mighty God who created everything came himself to be the warrior that came to rescue us from captivity to sin, from darkness, from the power of the enemy, and to empower us to go into the world, to expand his kingdom, to be his agent of change. So I'm going to invite the band up uh, to, to lead us in worship. And I want us to respond to this revelation and in these songs, we're going to rehearse a story. So let us rehearse the story that he is victorious and invite his presence and celebrate who he is and what he does. So God, thank you uh, for who you are and for what you do. Thank you that you are at work in this world. Thank you that you didn't stay up in heaven, but you came uh, to, to live here and rescue us. You rescued us from sin. You rescued us from darkness. You rescued us from the power of evil, and we need that. So God, would you help us during this season as we celebrate Christmas, as we look at nativities, as we hear Christmas carols, as we see the lights on trees, would you help us to remember that you are the mighty warrior God who is over all things. Lord, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.